This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 3, Episode 5. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Feeney-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Feeney-Hatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Hey there, Lynn. So today, talking with Tom Herr, who wrote The Formative Five, Fostering Grit, Empathy, and Other Success Skills Every Student Needs. So Randy and I recently read this book and uh, saw it and knew that it connects with our profile of a graduate and learning beliefs and eager to talk with Tom today. A little bit about Tom. He retired after leading the New City School in St. Louis, uh, Missouri for 34 years and is now Emeritus Head of School. He teaches at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. And holds a PhD from Washington University in St. Louis. Her has written four books and more than 100 articles, including the Principal Connection column in Educational Leadership Magazine, and is an enthusiastic basketball player. Uh, we recently used another one of Tom's books, Fo- Fostering Grit, uh, last year in our Summer Academy, and we look forward to talking with you today, Tom. I'm happy to be here. The only thing I would add is that while I am, in fact, an enthusiastic basketball player, <laughs> Full definition is I'm an enthusiastic but poor basketball player. (laughs) I think we might have deleted the but poor part. (laughs) But I'm sure you pursue that with grit, right? You got it. You got it. (laughs) All right. Well, welcome to the show, Tom. And we're definitely uh, looking forward to have this conversation with you. And like uh, Lynn had mentioned, we... Uh, have done a lot of work in our school district around developing a profile of a graduate. And when we saw your work, there were like immediate connections uh, for us. So we're looking forward to having this conversation and learning a little bit uh, more from you. So to start off, uh, tell us, what do you mean by the formative five? And why are these skills so necessary for our students today? Well, I I think like many educators, for a long time I've been looking at 
what we do in our schools and how we prepare our kids. And I'm proud of the gains they make and our kids do well on tests and they have the three R's mastered, but I've really felt that that really isn't what's totally needed, that we're somehow missing, there's a bit of a disconnect. So probably about 10, 12 years ago, I began just asking folks that I know, I did it through emails, I talked to lots of non-educators, and I asked people to define success. And uh, the data won't surprise us, but it was nevertheless uh, a revelation in the sense that very few people talked about success as being able to read, write, and calculate correctly. Now, now to be fair, in fact, that's probably because they take that as a given. But when they talked about success in the world, they talked about other qualities. They talked about the kinds of things candidly that we really don't focus upon much in school. They talked about people who acted with uh, honesty and integrity, people who didn't give up, folks who were caring individuals, people who reached out and, and brought in folks who were different than themselves. So I began thinking that it's not enough to just talk about this. We really need to have a tool that educators can use. And so I began reading and basically what I did is I identified what I call the formative five. And I'm calling them success skills. I don't like the term non-cognitive learning. That's a negative. Uh, social emotional learning is a little fuzzy for me, but success skills is really what they are. And I looked at a number of them and I came out with five. I talk about empathy, self-control, integrity, embracing diversity, and, and grit. And part of the investigation, if you will, was deciding what did not fit in there. One of the things, for example, that we all want our kids to have is curiosity. But I thought, well, hold on a second, that really fits into these others. And so coming up with the five is something I think uh, that educators can get our arms around. I think it is something that we can use in classrooms and schools. And what I did, as you saw from reading the book, is I went beyond just looking at it conceptually, although I have a conceptual basis, if you will, for each one of the skills. What I really came up with are suggestions for principles and strategies for teachers to really bring this stuff to life. Because I think every educator, when they hear this, is going to nod and say, absolutely, my kids need that. But it's not something about which we've talked focus much in school, certainly very little in teacher preparation and preparing principals. Sure. So uh, when you talk about your process that you followed um, by asking that question, we make a lot of connections because we spent last year asking that same question or similar question. And mm -hmm. it, it's, it's amazing how the way that you described that was so close to the way that we've described that same kind of conversation. Yeah too. So yeah, lots of good connections here. I almost wish we would have read this one before we started our process last year and, and finalized our profile of a graduate, because you're right, many skills fit into these buckets that you've identified. Well, you're kind. And I would, I would argue, I think, going a little bit on, on, a, on a limb here, that the formative five are integral now, they're important now, they were always important. But I think looking in the future, they're going to be even more important to people succeeding. And in my opening chapter, I talked about how the world is changing. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I think we're beyond the day where we can argue about climate change. I think we're beyond the day where we can recognize the fact that diversity is going to be in our lives, however we define that. And we're looking at bots everywhere. And so it seems to me the skills that we used to work so assiduously on are in my iPhone. What we really need to do is preparing children how to manage themselves and how to work with other people. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, let's let's dive into some of these ideas that you have and your strategies for principals and teachers are are so practical um, and exactly what we need as we're moving forward with uh, trying to realize our vision. So talk to us a little bit about how teachers and our leaders, principals can help students develop empathy and and why it's important um, to take action, as you say. Well, and, and let me back up, if I might, and starting with empathy is appropriate. It's the first success skill that I deal with, but let me put it all in a context, and that is that I think, and this came out when I wrote my grit book, to which you referred earlier kindly, and that is that for all of these skills, we do not do them to students. We do them with students. We do them as colleagues with peers with whom we work and with children and with families. And so once that is out there, then the implication of that is that we begin by being very transparent and overt. So if I'm a third grade teacher or if I'm a high school math teacher or a principal or whatever, and I embrace this, the first step, I think, is to start talking and getting other people on board. Whether you want to use my term success skills or not, doesn't really matter. But everybody in the school community needs to know that we're looking at the whole child in the ASCD term. We're looking at helping children become better human beings, better adults for tomorrow's world, not just to do well on this report card or to walk across the stage, number one at graduation. So having done that, having talked about that, and and later I can get to the fact that uh, when I was running the school and we were in these things, we didn't call them the formative five back then I was talking about Gardner's intrapersonal, interpersonal intelligences. We were in my school. I talked about this in parent letters every week. I talked about grit a great deal. And so all the parents knew what we were doing and why we were doing it. To come back to empathy, where I think we start, it seems to me that when we look at people who, uh, I don't even want to say are cruel to one another, but people who are not kind to one another, people who do not appreciate one another, it's because they haven't taken the time to really understand one another and to look at things from that other person's perspective. I think sometimes we do a good job of teaching sympathy as opposed to empathy. B'nai Brown's got a great quote in her book, Rising Strong. If you're looking for a book to read after you read mine, you want to read Brene Brown's book. It is really, really good. And she talks about how sympathy leads to disconnection, whereas empathy fuels connections. And in the book, I mentioned Material World. That is a book that probably many of our folks are familiar with. It's a book, irrespective of the age of the child that you teach, I think it is really, really good. It's a picture book. And what they did was go around the world and they have photos of families in 24 different cultures with all of their household possessions. And it is, it is remarkable. You'll see a family uh, who's living in, a, in what we would call a poor area in the United States, and they don't have a whole lot, but you can just see the love, you can see the pride. Then you see in other families where they'll have three or four televisions. And I think doing something like that with the intent of trying to understand what must it be like to live in that situation, how do people feel, let's talk about that, I think is really, really good. When we look at literature, when we talk about stories that we read, uh, we've become very good, thanks to No Child Left Behind and Race to the Top, at getting kids to know what is being uh, said, what is happening, what we need to do is step back and ask them not only what do the characters do, but why did they do it, why were they feeling that way, to get back to some of their motivation. Um, And then lastly, a small suggestion I made, I think, that is applicable to anybody any age. It would be interesting in your class to have your kids uh, give them a piece of paper, draw a 
vertical line down the center. On the left, write the initials of two or three friends. On the right, write the initials of two or three people that you don't know as well, and then speculate what might these people want for a birthday present. And of course, what will come across very quickly is that uh, children, or adults for that matter, who don't have much empathy think that everybody wants what they want. And it's a good way, I think, to get into what might kids want that's different than you. Why is that? It's kind of a Rosetta Stone, if you will, uh, parsing out the differences that people have and the assumptions they hold. And again, everybody wants a birthday present, but what is that and why is that? Making that part of the dialogue, looking at how we can care for people, not just because they're people and have dignity and deserve care, but because they're human beings and we need to have empathy for everybody. So, um, so Randy, that's such an interesting idea. We could use that with our student um, advisory council as an activity to really uncover empathy, um, a way to make it really concrete before we started talking or, or even um, with our advisories within our school days. So lots of applications. And I think that's one of the things that I really like about your, your book, a lot of practical application that um, most of them don't really require much much prep time. It's just about having really good conversation with kids. And, and let, let, me, let me jump in there, and I'm going to say the obvious thing to you and every other educator, and that is we always give people more to do. We never take something off somebody's mm-hmm. plate. And it seems to me, the way I've tried to approach this anyway, teachers are too busy, principals are too busy, I work too long and too hard. And so what I'm offering is not more work, but a different way to look at things and a different way to proceed that's going to help kids without being a real drain on the people who are in front of the classrooms and leading the school. Yeah, spend the time really talking with with kids and each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's move from uh, this idea of empathy and move to the topic of self-control. You have a chapter in your book on self-control. So why is it important for us uh, as educators to provide opportunities for students to develop this idea of self-control? Well, you know, and I would say cynically that all you need to do in most schools is go in the hall room, hall, hallway or restroom and you'll see that there's not enough self-control in, in the place. And I think self-control is what I would argue uh, is typical of all of the success skills in the sense that we can't just assume kids bring it to us. It's something that needs to be developed. And when I mentioned the restrooms, um, you mentioned that I'm the columnist for Principal Connection and Educational Leadership, and I wrote an article two or three years ago Uh, what does your restroom say about your school? And what had happened is I was on a committee and we were visiting schools. We were there in the evening and we went in the restrooms and we noticed a couple things. Uh, One, it was the end of the day, they weren't clean. The other thing we noticed was there was no decoration. There was nothing about the restroom that made it pleasant. Well, nobody owns the restroom, maybe the custodian, but he doesn't have much power, she doesn't have much power. And when you think about the rest of the building, the artwork, what's there, we wonder sometimes, why kids don't show self-control, why when they're in the restroom they play around and do things they shouldn't, and it's because of what that setting is. So it seems to me when we talk about self-control, we're doing a couple things. The first thing we're doing is we're teaching kids how to develop good habits, how to form habits. Um, Charles Dewey, who's a New York Times writer, uh, wrote a book, in fact, called The Power of Habit, talked about building little habits. You know, begin by saying, I'm gonna learn how to brush my teeth with a different hand. Uh, And you can do that with kids. That's not easy. But basically, they're learning how to build a habit. And if we can build those little habits in, all of a sudden, we can get kids to take responsibility for their actions and develop self-control with them. When I do presentations, and I'm 
traveling around and doing presentations in my book, uh, one of the slides I have is a photo of Stan Musial standing next to Ernie Banks. And if you're a baseball fan, you think, wow, these two great baseball players, why is that? Well, Stan Musial and Ernie Banks, Hall of Famers, great players, they played in the major leagues for a total of 41 years. And in 41 years, neither one of them was ever thrown out of a baseball game. And when you look at how athletes, how society is today, I thought, wow, that's really a testament to the self-control that, that these folks had. And it seems to me, if we want our kids to be successful, we need to teach them to restrain from acting on that, on that impulse. We need to teach them to condition themselves to take a deep breath before they move forward. And that really leads um, into our next question because in order to do that, we also have to reflect on our own attitudes and tendencies. And uh, you provide some surveys in your book to help readers, teachers, or leaders do that. And you know, why is that important for us, um, especially in areas of integrity or embracing diversity, that we really think about our own attitudes and tendencies? Well, I, you know, it, it, it's, it's much easier to um, preach than practice. You know, I know that all too <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but if we really want our kids to get into this, we need to get into it, too. Uh, when I wrote the book, as, as um, Randy said when he introduced me, I retired a year ago. When I wrote the book, I thought, boy, I wish I was back in school again, because I would want to take my faculty and have, have us working on these skills as well, too. seems to me that not only should teachers who teach math probably do a better job of balancing their checkbook because they're teaching math all day, teachers who teach the success skills are probably going to be more proficient, more likely to use them. And by teaching them to our kids, we're learning them ourselves. And by engaging in the same processes, we're going to be better, not only teachers, not only principals, but better role models as well. So I make a connection to, uh, we just had an administrative team meeting today, and we spent some time talking about the dispositions that are in our profile, the graduate, and really being intentional about how do we develop those as adults, how do where are right. we? What are our strengths? And then how do we model that? And even even our support leaders, you know, who might not necessarily interact directly with kids, how are they modeling um, those same dispositions with among the adults that they work with, too? Oh, totally. Let, let, let me jump in and give you an, another quick story, if I may. Um, I'm glad this is a four hour broadcast. Um, <laughs> the other the other <laughs> is. One of the columns I wrote three or four years ago was, who's the bully in your school? And I began by talking about bullying. It was in the news then. It's always been a problem. But the twist I put on it was I talked about the bullies that we have in the faculty room as well. And we have some adults on our staffs, on our faculty in every school who use the same bullying behaviors that kids do. And then I ended by asking principals to whom the column is directed, gosh, is it possible you might be a bully as well? And it's a good example. If we're going to work on bullying with our kids, which we should, we have an obligation and responsibility to work on it with ourselves and with our colleagues as well. So we talked about uh, empathy and self-control. Let's move to grit. So you've, uh, we mentioned earlier, you've, you have a separate uh, book from ASCD on grit, and you uh, obviously discuss it in, in this new book. So what do you think are the short and long-term benefits of our students developing this thing called grit? Well, here too, I think grit was probably always important. Uh, God knows Abraham Lincoln had a lot of grit, and thank, thank heavens he did. But I think it is even more important in today's what I call trophy culture. 
And everybody who's working at a school knows what I'm talking about. You know, everybody on the team gets a trophy. Uh, <laughs> uh, that I use in the book. Well, I'm glad you like that one. Uh, I'm thinking back to our admin team meeting today, and that's talking about awards for attendance and participation, and I'm just making a connection to that, that, like that conversation. That. Well, you know, we all know the term uh, helicopter parents, the parents who hover. Well, a term I've been using is snowplow parents, the parents who remove the barriers from in front of their children. And I think it's fair to say that today's kids uh, are more entitled, they're more protected, and by and large, they have less grit than their predecessors did. And grit is simply not giving up, being tenacious, hanging in, not choosing the easy path. And I talk about it in a bimodal perspective. Um, I often talk about grit vis-a-vis -vis your high achievers. At just about every school, there's the kids, you know, what I call the high flyer. They do everything well. They're on the lacrosse team. They win the school play. They're on the student council. These are the kids who've never hit the wall. And the case I make is that we all, we're old enough. We're all going to hit the wall at some point. And my point is that if a child leaves my school without having failed, we have failed that kid. We as the educators need to orchestrate engineer situations where kids have to learn how to hang in, how to not quit, how to continue even when they want to give up. Semicolon, however, comma, then there's the other end of that distribution. There are the kids we all know who don't have success, who need grit every day of their life because they're taking care of a sibling, they're in a home situation that's not good, or they're coming to school and they're failing in just about everything. It seems to me, again, as with all of these success skills, it's not enough to say that, well, she has it, he doesn't, he has more than she does. We have an obligation of commitment to help children learn it. And grit is one, absolutely, that you do with kids, not to them. You talk about it, you practice it, you have kids look at what they do when they're feeling frustrated. I think another thing to do is have kids look at how grit can be transferred. I would venture to say that just about every child who's not doing well in school does well in something else maybe sports, it may be music, it may be getting along with people who are hard to get along with. Helping kids reflect on that, Howard Gardner would say, that's their intrapersonal intelligence, and find out how to use that as a way to develop grit in them. And again, when I look how the world is headed, when I look at what's happening to jobs, when I look at uh, the dangers that seem to be just about everywhere, I think that kids are going to need grit even more in the future than they did today. And I worry that our homes and sometimes our schools make that even harder to be developed. So thinking about schools and homes making, making uh, putting barriers up to developing grit, um, whether it's parents or teachers or enabling, you know, how does school culture help us develop grit and how can it affect teaching and learning um, through that lens? Well, I think that the first thing, again, to go back to the beginning and then I'll come back to a different notion. At the beginning, it's talking about it, being explicit about it. Um, I go in lots of schools. Uh, as you heard in the introduction, I'm working at University of Missouri-St. Louis, and I'm in the principal preparation program. So I'm working with master's degree students who want to be principals. And I'm going into their schools and visiting them. And I'm, I'm struck, not surprised, by how many schools have student workup, how many schools have signs, posters, honoring kids. But you know, it's a pretty small group. Uh, it's the honor roll kids. It's the most valuable player. It's the kids who won the trophy. What I want to do is see some recognition of the kid who really tried much harder, the kid who still didn't get an A, but her trajectory is really good. On a team, we have the MVP, most valuable player. Why not the MIP, the most improved player, the MGP, the most gritty player? 
it seems to me that if we really want kids to succeed, recognizing that not everybody's going to get that A, we need to be commending them on their trajectory. We need to patting them, be patting them on the back on their effort. And we need to be applauding them for the ways that they continue to try, even though it's easy to give up. So when you do an assembly, for example, um, it'd be worthwhile to ask kids to talk about what they've done that was really hard. Talk about the times they didn't give up. Congratulate them, pat them on the back. Too often, if you're a, a kid, whether you're 8 or 18, it's easy to look at the adults around you and think that, wow, what they did, they did because they're really good at it. That happens to me when I watch the Olympics. You know, I look at these gymnasts and I think, my God, I could never do that. That is simply amazing. Well, that's true. But one of the reasons they do it is they spend, you know, 4,000 hours a week practicing. And it seems to me that it's too easy for our kids to think that the successes adults have, whether it's professional, athletically, academically, whatever, come without a whole lot of effort. So part of fostering grit in a school culture is the adult sharing what they've done, the grit that they've exhibited. Not I walked uphill to school both ways, but this was hard for me and I didn't give up and here's why. So we think your book is a really important contribution to the conversations that progressive schools are having about, you know, reforming, if that's the right word, or, you know, reimagining uh, the way that we do school. And uh, we've we really enjoyed reading your book and have made some really strong connections to the work that we do. It's been very affirming, actually. Uh, so. We want to thank you for that. And we also want to say, ask the question of like, what's next for Tom? You've written this book. Um, hopefully we got lots of folks reading it and talking about it. So what's next on the horizon for Tom? Well, three things. One is I really do want to be a better basketball player. I mean, I'm 71 years old, but it's not too, <laughs> not too late. Uh, two is I'm traveling and presenting and talking about the formative five to schools and conferences. And that's encouraging. But my next writing I want to write, and you, you, Randy, you led into it. I want to write by talking about school culture. And it seems to me school culture is the key, and it's something we're aware of, but I believe that educators can do much more to explicitly create cultures that support teachers and help kids grow. So thinking about um, school culture is certainly something that we are working on and um, trying to model through our whole organization. And you've given us a lot to think about uh, through your book, The Formative Five. So thank you so much for joining us, Tom. And for our listeners, if you'd like to learn some more about Tom's work, we've linked a few things in the show notes. Um, an iLead keynote. There is actually an ASCD study guide that you can check out if you want to read the book with colleagues and or, or um, a professional learning community within your school. And there are some links to additional books, the Fostering Grit, one we used in our summer academy, um, and also a connection to the multiple intelligences. So lots of great resources. Don't forget to follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Herr. Uh, each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation whether it's through the podcast or within your own professional learning network. So this episode's questions include the following. How can you, as a leader or teacher leader, offer students opportunities to develop the formative five? And second, how can we, as adults, model the development of the formative five? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season three, episode five. 
We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes. Let us know your star rating and consider leaving a one or two sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. That was fun. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.